Welcome to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, your tour guide on the journey to becoming a veterinarian. Listen along as we provide you with tips, tricks, and tales on applying to veterinary school. Welcome back to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino. Just a reminder to our listeners that during season three, we are practicing social distancing, so the audio might sound a little bit different. Today's podcast is a very exciting episode. It's our first call-in show ever. And tonight my guests are the University of Florida Pre-Veterinary Medicine Club. Tonight we have 156 members listening in. We're gonna be calling out some names to get their questions answered. And hopefully all of our listeners will benefit from the questions. So here we go. Our first question is coming to us from Nora. Nora, go ahead and ask us your question. How and where can we get volunteer hours during COVID? Nora, so glad you asked this question because COVID is on everybody's mind. COVID is something that is weighing on everybody. Literally everybody in the world is experiencing it in some way. And you guys are experiencing it at a kind of sketchy time, right? Because you're trying to get your dream. You're trying to go to vet school. So how do we get volunteer hours during COVID? Here's the tricky part. You're applying while other students are reapplying. So you're competing with students who already have tons of hours. So we have to make sure we get something on your resume that looks like you did something during this time. So I would say, step one, make a list of all of the veterinary clinics in your area and start calling them to see who will take volunteers. And some of you may be thinking, no, no, Alex, no one is taking volunteers right now. And that's not true. People are still getting volunteer hours and some people are getting jobs. And now is the time to apply for jobs because all of your classes are online. So I would go beyond thinking about volunteer hours and start thinking about getting a paid tech or assistant job. And in the state of Florida, you don't have to be a certified vet tech to do that. So that's step one. Step two is if you truly exhaust your resources and can't find any volunteer opportunities or paid opportunities, or you just don't feel safe going out right now, which I totally understand, now you have to go to plan B and get creative. So maybe you volunteer virtually by reading to little kids on YouTube, or you donate supplies. Another great option is maybe you don't apply this cycle if you can't get those volunteer hours. I am totally okay with non-traditional students, students who take time off, So if this isn't the year for you to apply because you don't have that experience, that is totally fine. Thanks, Nora, for your question. Up next, let's have Natalie. Natalie, go ahead with your question. Um, What are some good resources to stay up to date with current information and is in the veterinary world? Thanks, Natalie. My first tip always is Google Alerts. So Google Alerts is you just go to Google, you type Google Alerts, and then you can put any keywords you want and Google will email you when those articles come up. So my Google Alerts are set for veterinary medicine, animal controversy, and you better believe that when Tiger King came out, that blew up my email feed. I also have animal ethics and I have FVMA, which is the Florida Veterinary Medical Association. So that would be step one. Step two is to talk to veterinarians. So you ask them, hey, what's going on in the field? What do you think I need to know? What questions are getting asked in interviews? Because if a question is getting asked in veterinary school interviews, 
it's clearly a hot topic. You also want to stay up to date with current events. So you just want to be plugged in. Uh, we had a student one time who we asked them, hey, what do you think we should do about the fires in Australia? And they did not know that in January, Australia was basically all on fire. And that was kind of scary because it told us that this student isn't plugged in. So you want to stay up to date with current events. So that might be having an app on your phone, like a news app. So the emails, news apps, and talking to other veterinarians are probably the three best ways to stay in touch. And you can also be reading articles in JAVMA, J-A-V-M-A, which is the Journal for Veterinary Medicine. Um, so I would, I would be keeping in touch with all of those types of subscriptions. And, and Facebook. So the APVMA, uh, the FVMA, there's a bunch of legit organizations you could be following that will be posting different articles and our our facebook does that too on fridays we do a weekly roundup of good information and articles so i'd be following things on social media thanks natalie great question okay haley we have haley calling in haley what's your question my question was what is one thing that you cannot stress enough about the application that needs to be done right or advice either one Okay, so these can go hand in hand, right? So my biggest piece of advice slash what you should always do on your application. I probably have a lot of these, but the things that come to mind would one, be yourself. So that's being yourself in your essays pretty much because on your experiences, that's very black and white. It's gonna be lines, lines, lines. But in your essays, showing your personality. So I talked to a pre-vet student today and his essays are so fun to read because I, I already know him from pre-vet advising, but reading them, I know he's being himself. He showed his personality. He listed his experiences. It didn't sound like anybody else could write it except him. So be yourself. I would say, okay, this is another thing that I told him. So same situation, be yourself, but also don't say anything that could distract from the application. So things that could distract would be things like typos, or if you tell your story in not a clear and concise way. So you guys know your story the best. And if you are telling your story and you don't explain everything, you're gonna confuse the admissions committee members and they're gonna get sidetracked, they're gonna phase out, they're gonna miss some of the good stuff you're saying. So you wanna make sure you don't give them anything that's distracting. Another thing that could be distracting, anything that sounds immature. So if you make a comment that says something like, I wanna be a vet, because I wanna save all of the animals. That's a big no, because that's not what being a veterinarian is. You can't save all the animals. And if you say things like, I don't like seeing blood, that's a red flag. So you wanna avoid these red flags that can be distracting, that seem immature, that seem like you don't understand the field. And then finally, not so much the application, but just biggest piece of advice is plan on applying more than one time. Most of you know veterinary medicine is very, very competitive. It's competitive because we only have 32 schools in the country and we have many, many more med schools. That's why people say it's harder to get into vet school than med school. It's, it's just fiercely competitive. You're up against superstars and there's not enough seats. So just plan on applying more than one time, prepare for that and it'll, be a, it'll still sting and it'll hurt, but at least you know that it's a serious possibility every year. More than 8,000 people apply to vet school and there's 4,000 seats in the country. 
So those are general piece of it, pieces of advice and things to do on the application. Thanks, Haley. Great question. All right, let's hear from McKenna. McKenna, what question do you have for us tonight? Hey, Alex. So my question was, what are some standout qualities um, of many successful applicants? Great question, McKenna. So I have been working at the vet school for five years and I have seen nine classes. So when I think about the classes of successful students and who's really done well, first thing I would say, and you don't find this out until they get to vet school, but you can probably read it in an interview, is they are professional. So how they speak, how they write, so emails, they present themselves well. So they're friendly, they're not complaining, they keep things positive. So I would say just their professional demeanor is something that stands out and makes them successful and will also make them a successful veterinarian. Another thing that stands out if we're thinking about the application, I know this will upset some folks, but I would say that in general, they have something under every piece of the experience section. So the six experiences that you can log on the VEMCAS application, veterinary, which means you worked directly with a veterinarian, animal, which means you worked with animals who were not your own pets, but no veterinarian was present, research, so you worked on a research project, whether it was your own or you worked for a PI, which means primary investigator, even if animals are involved, that still counts as research extracurricular activities. So everybody listening to this call right now already has something to put on their experience section. So that's clubs, organizations that aren't volunteer organizations because you have a volunteer section. This is volunteering that has nothing to do with animals. So giving back to the community, either I would say nature or humans. That's how you can decide if it's volunteer or not. So no animals. And then the sixth experience section is employment. That's a job that has nothing to do with animals. So you worked at Starbucks or you were a camp counselor or we had a student get in from 2024 who was a clown for birthday parties. So I would say students stand out when they have at least one thing in every section. And I know that can sound daunting. However, it is doable and a lot of people end up doing it and that is your competition. So that stands out. So it shows that they're well-rounded. They were able to balance their time. They were able to network. And then if I was gonna say one more thing that a lot of successful applicants have, uh, they have real world veterinary experience. They really get what the field is about. So they have worked in a clinic. Now I have some folks who have only volunteered, but they volunteered consistently and they were such stellar volunteers that they got that hands-on experience. They got close with the veterinarian. They learned this was really a profession that they love and can do long-term. The reason those folks are so successful is they're realistic. So they have realistic expectations. They're not shocked when they're stuck uh, working in the clinic after hours. They're not shocked if they have to put an animal down. They're not shocked if a client is super nasty to them and says they're only in it for the money uh, because everyone knows that's not true in vet med. Thanks, McKenna. Lisette's calling in. Hi, Alex. Okay, so I have a question for you. I know there are a lot of career paths to take as a veterinarian, and I really wish I had some kind of guidance on what field is best for me. 
So at UF College of Vet Med, I was wondering what resources you guys have available for us to help us solidify a veterinary career path. You know, Lisette, I'm glad you asked that because you're right. There are tons of opportunities in veterinary medicine. So, and that's a really great thing about getting your DVM is there's really no limit to the things you can try and things you can do within the field. So you can work on all different kinds of animals. You can work in different types of practices. You can work for the government. You could become a lawyer. There's so many things you can do, which can feel overwhelming because it's like, how do I know what is right for me? So I think your first resource, and these will be resources that maybe you can find through us or through the internet, but your first resource is to know yourself and to know what you enjoy the most. So I know that if I was going to be a veterinarian, I would prefer emergency medicine because I don't really have a desire to get to know my clients. I have a desire to get things done quickly, efficiently, and move on to the next patient. Some people's personality is they really do want to get to know their clients. So they might like things like primary care or actually production animal medicine because you get really close with those, um, those folks who own the herds of animals. So that's, so resource one is probably personality tests um, and maybe just journaling and getting to know yourself better. As for the careers in vet med, I would recommend our podcast because we do go over a lot of the different areas of veterinary medicine and you can start to listen to what the vets say and decide if that's something you would want to do. Um, other resources, at the University of Florida, we do offer a course called Careers in Veterinary Medicine where we go over different options. We go over assignments that will help you pick and choose what you like to do. I see a lot of faces on the call who have either taken the class or are in the class. So that is an option. I think attending conferences is a, and in the time of COVID, conferences are going to look a little different, but attending conferences put on by professionals and students can expose you to a lot of other parts of the field. And then other than following Google alerts and what we kind of talked about earlier with resources, I think the best thing a student can do is to be open-minded when they're in vet school and when they graduate and be willing to try and be open to each clinical rotation you're on and to be willing to leave a job that you don't love after a year or two. You don't have to stay. Um, get, you know, get what you wanted out of the position, but if it's not right, veterinarians move from practice to practice all the time. And then they find the place where they want to stay and they love it. So I think having an open mind and being willing to do some research into all of our options are probably the best things you can do to find the career. So that's what I would do, but it is a little daunting because you do have a lot of options. And I will say studies show having less options makes people happier. So if you go into the grocery store and you have 17 options for jam, one person has 17 options and another person has three options. The person with three options is actually happier because they're able to make their decision uh, more quickly and they don't have FOMO as much because what do the other 16 types of jam taste like? Um, so y'all are in a 17 jam situation, but it's wonderful because you do have options. So Lisette, thanks for that question. Uh, let's hear from Allie. Allie, what's your question? So I was wondering, um, when explaining our activities and hobbies outside of vet med, is anything too small to include? So we're talking about the application, right, Allie? Right. Yeah. So on the application, my opinion is going to be different 
than other pre-vet advisors at other vet schools. It could even be different than the admissions committee because our admissions committee is made up of a bunch of faculty members who have their own preferences. But if I'm going to give general advice on what to include on the application and what not to include, I would say it depends on the student and it depends on the day. Because just today I told a student that I was okay with them listing a high school sport because it was really relevant to their application. But on a different day for a different student, I might say that's not really relevant. So I think it depends on each person. However, in general, I would say if it's an experience from high school that is veterinary medicine related or employment related or FFA or 4-H, yes. If it's something like prom committee, I would say no, because it's not super relevant. Things like prom committee and student government in high school and National Honor Society is what got you all into college and now focus on what you did in college to get you into vet school. Now, when it comes to the word small, I usually say if an experience is 20 to 30 hours or less, I would probably avoid putting that on the application because those are stepping stones. And the best way it was explained to me was by Dr. Trevetti, who's up at NC State Vet School. She says the stepping stones get the students to the bigger experiences that they list on their application. If they have big experiences, we know they have all of the stepping stones. So we don't need to see the stepping stones. They can actually be distracting. So if you're listing, I took a wet lab here for one hour at APVMA, or I did um, two hour CE at you know, such and such webinar, those kinds of things get a little distracting. If you're gonna do that, I would clump all of them together and say continued education. And then in the description, I would list what they are. I would not list little experiences here and there because it will be distracting. Um, other than that, in general, advice for resumes is you go 10 years back. However, that's more for employment because they wanna see how long you've stayed at locations. 10 years ago for you guys, for traditional students, is gonna be like high school, and for some of you potentially, it could even be middle school. So we're not gonna go 10 years back, again, unless it's employment, veterinary, really, it's really only those two things, in my opinion. Okay, thanks, Allie, for your question. We get that question quite a bit, and again, you might wanna brainstorm it out with a pre-vet advisor or a faculty member to see, hey, is this relevant? Do I need to include this? And ask yourself, why am I including it? If you're including it because you have nothing else going on, then you need to get more stuff going on. If you're including it because you have so much happening and you're like, I'm amazing, look at all these things, you don't need to. We can see you're amazing from the college experiences. All right, I'd love to hear from uh, the president of the Pre-Vet Club, Sam. Know a little bit more about what we should expect in the interview process and what kind of questions we should look out for. Wow, Sam, what a great question because we're approaching interviews in the time of COVID-19. So um, this podcast is going to end up dating itself because hopefully eventually we'll get back to regular interviews, but we're going virtual this year. So Questions, I would assume, will be similar to previous years. And we don't know that for sure yet because we haven't done our admissions committee training. But in general, I don't see any reason why they should change very much. So it's gonna be behavioral based. You need to be able to answer 
tell me about a time question. So tell me about a time you faced conflict. Tell me about a time that you were in a team. Tell me about a time where you knew veterinary medicine was right for you. Or tell me about yourself. So we wanna make sure that we're able to tell our own story. The other thing that will come up in an interview could be current event questions. So historically veterinary medicine questions. Um, in the past, we've asked questions like, how do you feel about blackfish, especially if the student was an aquatic medicine interested student? Uh, we might have, I mean, Tiger King probably is gonna come up. I'll be shocked if it doesn't. So they might say, you know, what did you think about this and how should a veterinarian react to it? Other things that could come up, I mean, you wanna be plugged in, like I said, to current event issues. So everything that's going on in our country right now, COVID-19, race issues, um, vet med issues, like student debt, mental health and wellness, you want to know your opinion on all of these things. You want to have solutions for them. How are you adjusting to it? How have you related to it? Um, honestly, though, I think the, question, the two questions that mess students up the most are, tell me about yourself, which you might say, no, that should be super easy. But it's not. People panic about that one. And tell me about a time you made a mistake. And bottom line in an interview, especially for virtual interviews, you need to be engaged. You need to break that wall of virtualness because it's not the same as in person. So you're gonna wanna practice how you come across online. You wanna make sure you have a really strong internet connection because if it breaks up, that's gonna create a distraction. Just like we talked about with essays, you don't want any distractions in there. You wanna make sure that you don't have a distracting background. So I would have a, like a blank wall behind me. So all of these things you want to think about that we didn't have to think about before. Um, and then I, I would just say practice, practice, practice. A lot of students think that that's not okay. They're like, I don't want to sound rehearsed. You don't want to sound like you have a script, but you do want to sound like you know your stuff. Thanks, Sam, for your question. Let's shoot over to Daniel. Daniel, what question do you have for us tonight? Ms. Abellino, so talking to current veterinary students, they emphasized a lot with reference to the interview process to make sure you step in and act like you own the place in the interview or exude a lot of confidence. And my question is, how do you make sure you don't seem overconfident or almost arrogant in the interview and kind of strike that balance of not seeming like you're terrified, but also not like you already own the place? Oh, I love this question. Okay, so yes, I think what we're talking about is the difference between cocky and confident. When someone owns a room, it just, it truly looks like they feel confident in themselves and they aren't necessarily feeling like they have to prove something. I think that's where it gets to be a bit of a turnoff when people come in and they're just like listing all of their accolades and they're acting like they have to prove something. Your job is to be a human, to start a conversation, to honestly get them to like you a little bit and feel like the student would be successful in veterinary medicine. Um, you know, historically, we have two faculty members and a student interview you. So your goal is to market yourself to the faculty as this student will be successful, will do well, will be professional and polite when I am teaching them in the classroom. The student, you're marketing yourself to the student. This is a peer that I want to have in the hallways of the VAB. 
This is somebody who I want to be my little someday. This is somebody who will do our school proud and will make us feel like, yes, we're glad we accepted them. So I think the way to do that is to practice. So just like practicing your interview questions, but what you would do is you would ask the folks that you're practicing with, hey, would you say I came off as cocky or confident? And get their feedback because self-awareness is hard. And sometimes we need feedback from others to tell us what vibe we're putting off. And the other person's perception is everything. So we might not think we're cocky, but if everyone is telling us we come off as cocky, that means that we have to adjust. And that might be talking more about a team member than ourselves. That might be being humble and saying things like, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Sometimes people get cocky because they're so nervous and their default is to like brag on themselves. Instead of bragging, you just state the facts that they need to know. You be really objective. It sounds so much better to have the facts and be objective than subjective and bragging on yourself. I think when people tell you guys that you need to own the room, I think they're trying to help with your nerves. And they're trying to be like, don't be nervous. This is your time to shine. Go in there and own it. And what they, what they mean by that is feel confident in who you are and what you've done and feel like you can share your story. And it does take practice. And I think what also would help, think of somebody who you think does this really well. Who do you know who is confident and able to talk about their experiences without being obnoxious? Who is someone who knows their story and try to emulate their qualities and characteristics? And of course, you can always find resources like professional books on how to become a better interviewee. You can watch TED Talks. You can do Toastmasters, which is a professional organization that helps you with public speaking. You can take a public speaking class. So there are also resources out there to help. I wanna thank the University of Florida Pre-Veterinary Medicine Club for having me tonight and putting their questions out there. We loved our call-in show. We'll probably do it again. So glad to have more than 150 future veterinarians on the call tonight and so many more listening to the podcast right now. I'm Alex Avellino and we'll talk to you soon.